Blog Talk Radio. Writer Show is now in the air. Spotlighted on BadRedheadMedia.com as a top author podcast on the web today and called a total blast of a show for writers. My name is Robert Batista, and you may ask, why is the Funky Writer Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the funky writer. I got started on my writing career at the tender age of 19. Thanks in no small part to the two great loves of my teenage life, girls and video games. I had zero clue at the time how much each of those passions would influence my career. These insightful words are from today's guest, USA Today best-selling author and comic book creator, Dan Jolly. Welcome to the Funky Writer Show, Dan Jolly. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure, Dan. Your resume is so vast. Uh, you seem <laughs> to be a prolific writer and have a very extensive body of work. Let's go to the beginning, Dan. At age 19, teenage, angst, girls, video games, and talk about how you started your writing career and what were some of the first stories you wrote back then. Well, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, um, the quote there was from my blog, and uh, I knew that I had wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really have any kind of focus about it. And then when I was 19, I was in a video arcade and uh, met a girl there and asked her out. And uh, on our first date, she found out that I wanted to be a writer and that I had written some short stories. And she said, well, have you ever thought about writing comic books? And I, I hadn't. I had read comic books. I was a big fan, but I hadn't ever considered writing comics and, and didn't really even know how. Um, and she said, well, I know a couple of comic book artists so I could introduce you. And uh, the, the ones, the, uh, the artists that she introduced me to were Tony Harris and Craig Hamilton. And uh, they read my work, and, and Tony in particular, I wound up working with Tony for um, a number of years after that. And they introduced me to some comic book editors, and 
other comic book artists, and things took off from there. And uh, the first story that I got contracted to do was an adaptation, actually, of a an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Dreams in the Witch House. And that was for a comic book company that um, uh, gave me the contract, and I signed it and wrote the script. And um, I think I think I had already sent it in when I received word that they had gone out of business. <laughs> so, so that was the first comic book company that I killed. Um, and uh, from there, the let's see, I sold a story, a Vampirella story, to Harris Comics. And then the first one that I actually got to see in print was an Aliens story that I sold to Dark Horse Comics, a little 16-page thing that appeared in one of their anthology titles. Wow. Talk about meeting the right girl at the right time. From what it sounds like, you had no inclination whatsoever to start writing comics, and all of a sudden, through her, you got into this this great field. So, as you said, you started out writing comic books and comic stories. Um, That had to be like the feeling of a kid in a candy store to a certain degree. Um, And and it's really amazing. Um, Any great stories you can talk about writing comics and uh, how you were feeling at that time? Well, uh, one of the one of the stories that was pretty crucial to my development, uh, the, I, I was still in college, and there was one summer where <laughs> I was so broke. I was so broke that I didn't buy any groceries for six weeks. My my two roommates had gone home for the summer to, to stay with their families, uh, but I was still there in Athens, and uh, I survived off the food that they had left behind in the cabinet. <laughs> um, and and I, I lost a good bit of weight that summer. Uh, I was working at a, uh, a telemarketing company part-time, and, you know, that – that let me pay rent, but didn't really let me do much of anything else. Uh, <clears throat> and it, honestly, there was, a, there was a little bit of freedom to it because uh, there were very few decisions I had to make. Like, do I want to spend the money to go see a movie today? No, no, I don't because I don't have any money. <laughs> well, that's, that's, there's that decision taken care of. But, uh, but I was realizing that it was coming up on my senior year in college, and um, I had enough money to pay rent. Or I had enough money to pay tuition, and uh, but I didn't have both, and I was thinking I you know I don't know what I'm going to do. I I might have to drop out of college, and go back to my hometown and work in a carpet mill, which you know would have been an acceptable thing. I mean it wasn't what I wanted to do, but uh, working right. in a carpet mill pays pretty well, and so uh, you know that that was what I was looking at, and uh, I was lying there in bed one day after work, um, thinking about how hungry I was. And uh, the same editor that had bought my first Alien story called me up. And, like, to begin with, my career was very off and on and a whole lot more off than on. And there would be sometimes months or maybe a year or two uh, between serious jobs. But the editor called me up, and he said, Hey, Dan, we've got this this miniseries, this 12-issue miniseries, called Aliens, Colonial Marines, and kind of gone off the rails, and we're hiring a new creative team. 
It's up to issue 8 right now uh, on the stands. Can you wrap it up by issue 10? Can you, can you write issues 9 and 10 and just wrap it all up for us? And um, the, the money that I got from doing those two issues allowed me to stay in college and, and finish my degree in the, the time frame that I was supposed to do it in. Um, and, you know, I, of course I said, yes, yes, I, I can do that, because when you're a freelancer, usually that's the answer to whatever question you're asked about a job. <laughs> of you know, course. <laughs> wh- wh- whether at the time you know how to do what they're asking you to do or not, uh, the answer is yes, yes, I can do that. <laughs> and I, I said, uh, is there any particular way you want the series to end up? And the editor, I think the editor kind of hated that project at that point, and he said, you know what, just kill them all. <laughs> just, just, just kill everybody. No problem. So, so, so that that led to that led to probably the easiest two pages I've ever written in a comic script ever, uh, because it was it was page pages nineteen and twenty or uh, or uh, no twenty and twenty and twenty one. Um, the space station explodes, and that was it. <laughs> that was, that wow. Was <laughs> What an awesome story. And and then you started to branch out. And speaking of branching out, Dan, your vast resume also includes co-authoring the worldwide number one selling game, Daylight Dying Light. Man, that's incredible to me. How does one get involved in authoring video games? And what exactly did you do in that collaboration? Well, um, I got started in video games because of my comic work. I was at a convention, and uh, a guy came up to me um, after I had been on a panel talking about some project. I don't remember which one. And it turned out that he worked at a video game company. And I said, wow, I've I've always kind of been interested in getting into writing for video games. And he immediately said, well, I could set up a job interview. And so I went on that interview and got that job, and that, that was the beginning of my video game career. Um, and one of the, one of the projects I did was a game called Prototype 2, and I worked on that with a a producer at Activision named Anthony DeLuca. Anthony went from Activision and got a job at Warner Brothers Interactive, and, uh, Warner Brothers was going to be distributing this game called Dying Light, and I didn't know anything about it, uh, but I got a call from Anthony, and he said, hey, there's this game that needs a writer, uh, would you be interested? I think it, it would be up your alley. So, um, I, and I said, yes, yes, I would be interested because, you know, freelancer. Um, and so I thought that it was going to be a game uh, in Vancouver, Canada, because I, I had gone, right. that was where I worked on Prototype 2. But it turned out that the, the development studio, Techland, is in Wrocław, Poland. <laughs> and they, and they, they said, well, it's going to require a little bit of on-site work. And um, I thought, oh, wow, I've, you know, I've never been to Poland. So, sure, and usually on-site work, it's going to be a week, maybe two weeks. And it turned into three months. Wow. <laughs> so I ba- basically lived in Poland for three months in uh, 2014. And so I, I learned a really, really tiny little bit of Polish and worked with a bunch of amazing, amazing, brilliant, creative people there. And wow. What what I was originally hired to do was just naturalize some dialogue because they had a lot of the the stuff written, but they needed it to sound like it came from a natural English speaker. Right, 
Right. But the longer the longer I was there, the more I got involved. And uh, at one point, they 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 finally said, "Well, we need we need this major rewrite on the main story," and it it ended up falling to me. Um, and I uh, I rewrote the the entire main story, at least that first draft, uh, over the course of about nine days. Um, and uh, so as it stands. About 99% of the dialogue in the main story is mine, and I contributed, uh, I don't know, 65, 70% of the actual plot points. So that that story has my fingerprints all over it. So, of course, uh, on your journey, this eventually leads you into novels and and novel writing. Um, how did you get your first book published? And talk about any challenges you had in getting this first book into print. What was this first story about? Well, the the first prose that I had published was actually I co-wrote a Star Trek book with uh, another writer named Scott C. Ensign. Uh, I met Scott at a convention in Florida and he had read one of my comic book projects and and liked it so we we struck up you know conversation and um eventually he called me up and said uh, I've got a contract to write this Star Trek novel the deadline's really tight would you like to partner with me on that so uh I did I, uh, I wrote that one and then I wrote uh also with him a book called uh Vengeance that was set in the Angel universe the TV show Angel right um the first original novel of mine, um, I wrote a trilogy of YA young adult uh, sci-fi espionage books called Alex Unlimited. And uh, that whole process was pretty challenging because it was through Tokyo Pop, which was a company that um, had made its name by importing manga projects from Japan and just translating right. them. Um, and then they got into original stuff, and I had I had done a good bit of work for them, uh, writing uh, original English manga projects, and I pitched them an original project, which was about uh, a, a an adolescent boy who could summon alternate reality versions of himself to Earth, um, and they were they were specialized for whatever task he had at hand. If he needed somebody, if he needed to 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 crack a safe, he could locate the version of himself that knew how to crack safes and summon <laughs> that version here. But um, Tokyo Pop said, you know, we like this, we like it a lot. Would you consider changing the main character to a girl? And you know. Uh, I said my my typical freelancer thing, which was yeah okay. So I mean I I just wanted work, but um, I I was so glad that they asked that because that was the first time that I had written from a female perspective, and right, it ended up right. a- adding so much depth and so much emotional quality to the story. Uh, it, it made it way better than it would have been otherwise. Well, but, let's talk uh, about that. Let's talk about that, Jan, because uh, a lot of authors have to, at times, write from the perspective, the male, female, mm-hmm. female, male. So you said it added so much. In, in what way did it add, and was it kind of difficult at first to write from that female perspective, or did you just fall right into it? I just fell right into it, uh, and I okay. was as surprised as anybody else, because yeah. up until that point, 
most of the stuff that I had done, honestly, could be considered horror. Um, and uh, like I, I wrote a, a comic book miniseries called Obergeist, which Wizard Magazine voted best horror comic of 1999. Um, but once I once I put my once I tried to put myself into the, the perspective of a teenage girl. Um, and it just it forced me to look at the world as a whole from from a, a, a perspective that I was completely unaccustomed to, but but it worked, and um, it w- I think approaching a story from a feminine perspective, it was it was freeing in a lot of ways because um, most of the time when you have a masculine protagonist, the 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 trappings of masculinity. Um, basically prohibit you from allowing the character to express a lot of emotions. You know, men, especially in our culture, uh, are taught not to express emotions. It's the machismo, Um, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I had this 18-year-old girl, and yes, she was smart and brave and um, did what she had to do to, to, to solve whatever problem she was facing. But all of a sudden, it was okay if she um, was afraid or, or if she just got giddily happy about something. Um, you know, the, the emotions that, uh, that I felt that it would be logical for her to feel, I could just put those on the page. Right. Um, and Alex Unlimited started out as a comic book pitch, but they couldn't decide on an artist. And at one point, because I had done the prose projects, I said, would you guys like me to just write this as prose? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, go ahead and do that. So, like, sort of accidentally, I became a YA author. Dan, let's talk about something I know you're really excited about. Um, the first book of the Grey Widow trilogy, Grey Widow's yes. Walk. Where yes. does this first book in this dynamic series take your readers? Well, Grey Widow's Walk is about a um, a teleporting vigilante, a female teleporting vigilante on the streets of Atlanta, Georgia, in present day. Um, it is the first in a trilogy, and uh, it uh, this book, in a lot of ways, is my first opportun- my first real opportunity to um, tell a story in the way I myself with no constraints, want to. Um, because the other, the other prose projects I've done, some were licensed projects. Some were young adult projects. The comic right. stuff I've done has, has been for major publishers with established characters and guidelines. The video games, writing video games in general, uh, you're just working under constraints. There's very, very, very little freedom uh, in writing video games. But in Grey Widow's Walk, I've been able to do everything and anything that I want to do. So in some ways, because uh, the, the story, it's, uh, it has elements of science fiction, a lot of action. Uh, there are elements of horror in it. But um, I can also write again from the female perspective, which I like. Um, I have uh, a couple of people have joked and said that my inner child is actually a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> uh, uh, but it also allows me to tackle a couple of uh, a couple of social issues, which I'm really passionate about. 
I, right. I am um, incredibly passionate about gun control. That's one of the things that, that I, I think is, is a huge, huge problem in this country. And so um, I'm able to address that in this book and um, talk about it, show the consequences of things that, that, that can and do happen. Um, and at the same time, I'm able to establish uh, essentially my own universe. Right. Um, because the, the main character, her name is Janie Sinclair, and she doesn't know how she got this ability to teleport. Um, and it's very specific because she can only teleport from one patch of darkness to another. So she, uh, she operates almost exclusively at night. Um, and it deals with her, with her emotional well-being because um, she's had uh, uh, three separate incredibly traumatizing things happen, not directly to her, but to people in her life. And, um, <laughs> well, ra- rather than go through therapy and try to um, deal with it in probably the healthiest way, uh, she ultimately she ultimately gets angry enough that she decides to uh, use the the vigilante actions that she takes uh, as kind of as a form of self therapy. Right. Um, but the reason behind her ability, as it turns out, there are uh, there are other people in the world who have been affected, not in the exact same way, but in similar ways. And um, it's a much much larger picture. Than, than what she's originally aware of. And so over the course of the three books, um, and maybe depending on how things go, more than three books, but uh, the, the first three books are, are one story. And uh, so we get to see the, the much larger canvas that this whole thing is painted on. One thing that I find interesting is that Grey Widow's Walk is billed as your first adult novel. How was that yeah. transition from writing for teens and comics and all that to basically ratcheting it up and, and writing for adults? Was it pretty seamless, or were there a few bumps in that road? Oh, no, it was seamless. Um, like I mentioned before, I've always written uh, under constraints. Right. You know, there were there there have been subject matter limitations and language limitations and um, page count, word count, stuff right. like that. And this this was just this was like kind of like for the first time in my career being able to take a full breath. You know, I'm, I'm just able to uh, to gather all of the ideas and images and sequences and scenes and characters that I want to and put them in this book uh, in exactly the way I want to do it uh, for the first time. And that's one reason why I chose Seventh Star Press uh, to approach about this is because they, they give their authors um, very nearly unlimited freedom. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so everything that you see in here is exactly the way I want it to be <laughs> for, for, the, for the first time ever. Um, and I, I, I did have a, a very talented editor working with me on this. Linda Sullivan is her name, and um, she improved the book in many ways. Every writer needs an editor. Every every writer, right. no matter who you are, needs an editor. Right. And uh, she she definitely made the book better. But the vision of the book is purely purely mine. Basically, for the first time, 
in my entire career, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Well, let's expand on visions. Mm -hmm. The cover of the book is breathtakingly inspired. Who designed it, and take us through how the process came about. Were you heavily involved in that? I was, I was, yeah, I was pretty heavily involved. Um, that cover was done by an artist named John Nadeau. That's N-A-D-E-A-U for those who want to look him up. Right. Um, I've known John for uh, so long now. He was the artist on that first Alien story that I sold to Dark Horse. And uh, I've worked with him as often as I could over the years. This is his first book cover. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, he's he, he's just all kinds of talented. He started out as an engineering student and then got into comic art. And uh, the the uh, the approach he takes is so methodical and and uh, so fast and reliable. And plus, he's insanely talented. Um, so, I explained what the character looked like and gave him a few different examples of things from the book that could be incorporated. So the um when you when you glance at the cover you see the main character and she she uh she stole a suit of um prototype military body armor. Right. So she's she's wearing this body armor and behind her is at first glance it looks like spider's legs. But if you look closer um that's actually the hands of the central antagonist in the book because the central antagonist has been affected in the same way she has, except that right. what, what was supposed to be a shape-shifting ability with him has gone kind of really horribly wrong. And his body ends up uh, frequently distorting in really disturbing ways. And so those are the crossed hands of the antagonist uh, with uh, distended fingers. And, uh, and, the, and that's the actual Atlanta skyline behind her. Um, and uh, I gave John a few notes on very, very minor things, but uh, that was probably uh, the the third draft that, that got accepted as the cover there, which is just an, uh, an incredibly fast process for this kind of thing. Let's talk about Dan Jolly, the person. Where okay. did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? I grew up in a very, very tiny town in northwest Georgia called Ringgold, and um, I was the youngest of three children. And uh, I found out many years later, according to the sociological perspective, I was actually an only child because my older brother is 11 years older than I am and my older sister is nine years older. And, right. Uh, so by the time I was eight, they were both out of the house. And... Um, my uh, my parents, um, who are who are still with us and still living in the same house that I grew up in, still in Ringgold. Um, Dad worked. At, uh, he ran the mail room at Ko Oil Company, and Mom was a bookkeeper. Um, neither of them went to college. Both of them grew up in Northwest Georgia, this little tiny little rural area of the South. Right. Um and I don't I don't know how they found each other, but um both of them are scarily intelligent and you will never meet two bigger grammar Nazis. 
<laughs> I don't I don't know how they both wound up as grammar Nazis, but but they did. And so that's why, in general, my grammar is more or less flawless, because every time I said anything wrong, they were quick to correct me. <laughs> right. <laughs> that must have been something. What were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? Um, Larry Niven. Larry Niven, science fiction author, uh, wrote the Ringworld books, uh, Tales of Known Space, one of my favorite science fiction titles of all time, The Long Arm of Gil Hamilton, which I would love to adapt to a movie. Um, Larry Niven was hugely influential. At the same time, I loved Louis L'Amour, the Louis L'Amour Western books. Great writer. Great yeah. books. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, it was kind of a synthesis of uh, Larry Niven and uh, Louis L'Amour and once I was old enough that my dad thought I could handle it, um, the collected works of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, so let's and, talk about your partnership with Aaron Hunter in the Warriors book series. It's all over Amazon. It's all over the place and, and so prolific. <laughs> How did this partnering come about, Dan? Um. So, so Aaron Hunter, uh, which it's it's kind of a kind of a very badly kept secret. Uh, Aaron Hunter is a pen name, and okay. uh, Aaron Aaron Hunter is actually four different people. But uh, the the driving force behind the books is uh, a woman named Vicky Holmes, and um, they collectively have written a series of young adult novels called the Warriors series. Right which are enormously successful. Um, they and HarperCollins, their publisher, approached Tokyopop about doing a series of side stories set in the Warriors universe, but sort of filling in gaps um, mm. in between um, uh, breaks in the story in the books, in between books. And so Tokyopop, I, I found out that that was going to be happening. And... Um, uh, at the time, I was living in a house with five cats, and uh, in fact, <laughs> right now, right now, I live in a house with four cats. I love cats. I love animals. I love animals in general, but I really love cats. So I called up the editor and said, "You've got to let me write this. You, you've got to let me do this stuff. Um, I, I love cats. I understand cats. I, I, I need to be the one to write this." And <laughs> I had already worked with that editor, Paul Morrissey, for uh, quite a quite a, a long time. And he basically said, oh, well, yeah, okay, sounds like you are the one that needs to do it. So um, I would be given general story outlines as to what uh, the Aaron Hunter Collective wanted to see, and I would go write these manga scripts. So to begin with, they were um, full-length manga books, and I don't even remember how many we did, something like 12 or 15, I think. Um these days they've scaled back a little bit on that, but um, right. every time a book comes out, there's a little 10-page manga backup story in the back of the novel, and I'm, I'm still working on that stuff. Um, I, I told them that I, uh, I don't want anybody else to be able to say they wrote Warriors manga stuff. I want to be able to do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dan, a lot of up-and-coming authors um, listen to this, this show, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the state of publishing. 
which has evolved and shape-shifted dramatically during the past five years. In your estimation to you, what is the future of publishing? Where do you see and think it's headed? I hesitate to say because I would never have predicted that self-publishing would become the uh, legitimate, substantial, um, often respected thing that it, that it has become. You yes. know, growing up, uh, growing up, uh, self-publishing was. Uh, uh, I mean, it was. <laughs> Forgive me if I'm infringing upon the standards here, but it was little. It was often seen as little better than masturbation. <laughs> um, I never heard of it uh, called that, but <laughs> okay. But now, uh, now I mean, the book that uh, uh, the Matt Damon movie, The Martian, was based on. Oh yeah. By oh, Andy yeah. Weir was, was originally self-published. Self-publishing yep. um, is every bit as valid as traditional publishing. Um, I've never done it. I've never done it because that's that's not the model that I grew up with. That's not that's not what I've been accustomed to and what I'm comfortable with. Um, I'm not saying that I won't ever. I just haven't. Um, but what I'm wondering about these days is, will there ever be in the future something like something like a, a Netflix for books? Um, you know, like maybe maybe an author gets a job at whatever this company would be. And they get a contract to write X number of books, and you get paid X number of dollars per book. And people subscribe right. and uh, get those books. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe this has already been invented. Maybe, maybe I'm reinventing the wheel here. And, uh, but, like, if the book turns out to be a huge success, then maybe you get bonuses. Uh, but, it, but it could operate like a subscription service. So someone pays, you know, eight ninety nine a month, and they can download X number of books. Right. Whatever they want. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Um, what's next for Dan Jolly? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? Well, uh, I have. Let's see. I uh, I wrote uh, a game called Chronos for the Oculus Rift. Okay. Which uh, which I believe I believe should be available right now for those who have the Oculus Rift. Um, unless something got pushed back and I wasn't aware of it. Um, I wrote a mobile game that's coming out in July that I can't talk about yet. But um, this, this is something that, uh, that I can actually announce here for the first time ever. So, so you get the, the, the scoop on this. Wow. Um, in October of this year, I have uh, a new middle-grade novel series debuting from HarperCollins. Uh, it's called Five Elements. And uh, the, the the general description is it's urban fantasy for kids. It's uh, it's about four friends who discover uh, that not only is magic real, but that it's based on the four elements: earth, air, fire, and water. And they um, inadvertently become attuned to it. So uh, these uh, these four twelve-year-olds, and it's set in San Francisco become elementalists and um it uh it involves a lot uh, a lot of action in San Francisco as well as uh an alternate dimension called Arcadia and um i i've got the i've got a deal for 3 books 
and I think it's going to be really, really exciting. Wow, that sounds like it's going to be awesome. Um, Dan, give out any contact information, websites, or if people can follow you on any place, or just give out any contact information you'd like. Yeah, I've got a website. It's uh, www.danjolly.com. That's D-A-N-J-O-L-L-E-Y. And on there you can see pretty much all of my work cataloged um, and uh, a couple of different blog series, one of which is about the technical aspects of writing comic books. And you can contact me through there. And also please do follow me on Twitter. I am at underscore Dan Jolly. This has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name on Smashwords.com. My guest has been the best-selling author and so much more, Dan Jolly. And his latest and first of the Grey Widow trilogy is called Grey Widow's Walk. Make sure you order your copy today. Thank you so much, Dan, for being a guest on the Funky Writer Show. It's been my pleasure. <laughs>